Acts chapter 5, verse 11. It says, Great fear seized the whole church and all who heard about these events. Lord, we thank you so much for this morning. We lift up your word. We lift up our hearts before you, and we ask that you would speak to each of us individually where we are, and we pray that we would not only be hearers but doers of the word. We pray for this grace in the name of Jesus. Amen. Great fear seized all, I'm sorry, the whole church and all who heard about these events. If you remember, chapter 5 began with a big bummer. It was a very upsetting situation. <clears throat> if two of your prominent members in your church came and they laid an offering at the feet of the apostles and then the apostles struck them dead, that would be very, that's a bummer, right? That's not the great thing. Well, hypocrisy had crept into the church and the Holy Spirit responded to this couple uh, that were desiring to attain the praise of men rather than the praise of God. That was, they were, they were looking for the approval of men rather than the approval of God. That was at the heart of their offering, the heart of what they were doing, why they were, what they were. And it crept into the church. And so they sold property. They held back some of the proceeds, which is fine. They could have not given anything. But they had told the apostles, they told the apostles that they had given all, like this guy Barnabas earlier and hoping they were to appear spiritual, hoping to appear benevolent, hoping to appear like they were giving this outward appearance. But in reality, that's not their heart. They were lying to men, they were lying to God, and they were holding it back from, uh, in their own hearts. And God sees right through that. And Peter, by the gifting of the Holy Spirit, he discerns what's going on, and he says, Ananias, uh, why have you lied to, you, you thought you lied to us, but you've actually lied to God. And he, and he struck him dead. So that's one of the spiritual gifts I don't want to have. But he dies right there. And then his wife comes in a short time later, and what happens? She lies as well. She dies. <clears throat> and so it's a very, it begins with a bummer. It wasn't recorded last week. Uh, we spoke in depth about the relationship between uh, purity and power. If you missed the message and you want a copies of, of my notes, I have them verbatim over there and also online. They're on the table in the back. And so the Holy Spirit is just not going to have it. He's just not going to have this hypocrisy going on in the church at this crucial stage, and he wants to make a point, and so he does. God desires that his church, that you and I, we are the church. It's not the building, right? We are the church. He desires that we live in purity and honesty and not hypocrisy, not projecting one thing and being another. And we know that that is a lifelong process. And if these were rules, rules were in effect today, I, I, how many of us wouldn't be here? I, I know I would be smoked, right? But that doesn't mean that the Lord doesn't desire for us to be pure. That doesn't mean the Lord doesn't desire for us to be holy and to be one-hearted with him and not have this duality going on. He desires truth in the inward parts, a broken spirit and a contrite heart, right? That, that song we sing. God removed this couple from the church in a dramatic way, and the result was twofold. Two things happened when he took them out. First, in verse 11, great fear seized the whole church and all who heard about these events. And there was just this, this true reverence. There was a true respect, a, a true reality of the holiness of God that appeared in their church. And when we dabble in sin and, and when God doesn't do anything about it, we kind of can get the idea that, oh, he's not really who he is, and we keep on going to keep on going. We don't realize that's God's grace in our lives, his mercy upon us, withholding. But this is the Holy Spirit right here reacting how he would react to an unholy act within the church. 
And that's just, by, we, we're very thankful for the grace of God, and we love it. But it's not an excuse that we would sin, right? That's what Romans teaches us. And so there's this, this fear, this true reverence, and that's more of a proper word there, this reverence for the Lord that was returned. And secondly, as a result of this, this reverence, this fear, we see purity back in the church. People started going, you know what? I'm just not going to be half-hearted about this. I'm not going to be hypocritical because if I do, what happens? I'm worried about this. I want to be pure. I want to be straightforward with the Lord. And, and some people who were pra- practically, uh, you know, not wholehearted in the situation um, were, were checked. But purity had come back in the church now that the apostles, uh, the obstacle to the gospel was removed. And that hypocrisy was an obstacle to the gospel. It was an obstacle to the power. Remember, there's a connection between purity and power. When we lack purity, when we're in carnality, it's, it's like the more of the world that's, that's in us, the less of the sun that's in us. And the more of the sun, the less of the world. And that's the way the Lord works. That's the way he worked in his early church. And that's the way he works with, uh, in us now. And so this, this was removed from the church, and there was this power that was released once again. We read about it in verse 12. The apostles performed many signs and wonders among the people, and all the believers used to meet together in Solomon's colonnade, and no one else dared join them, even though they were highly regarded by the people. The half-hearted people, the bandwagoners, were staying away. They're saying, I don't want to engage in this. Nevertheless, and this is the part we go, oh, well, that's not very good. God, what are you doing there? Nevertheless, verse 14, more and more men and women believed in the Lord and were added to their numbers. So people were still being saved. Isn't that great? The Lord had a way of keeping the people out who needed to be out who weren't really going to be following and believing him. But he had a way of bringing the people in who truly were going to believe upon him. And verse 13 and 14 shows the importance between numbers and believers. The difference between numbers and believers. Anybody uh, thought about that? Ever? The difference between numbers and believers? You know, the more that we go to the world and its systems and all these types of things, the more that we would gravitate towards numbers. Right? But what about believers? What about believers? Is that what the Lord's after? Yes. (laughs) That's once. I'm just kidding. Yeah. But you can have a bunch of people, but are they all in? You can have a bunch of people, but are they all in? Are they believers? Verse 13 and 14 differentiates between those who were half-hearted and those who were truly added to the church. By How do they truly add to the church? By belief or faith in Jesus. This is very important. This is how people are added to the church. By belief, by faith, not by attendance. Does anybody here know that? You're not part of the church because you attend. You're part of the church through faith in Jesus. We don't get to the church through a community. We get to through the church through a person. He is the door. There's no other way in. Now there is a community of people who, are, who have entered the door, and we have fellowship with them, and it is the body of Christ. Amen? And that is how we are introduced to Christ, through his body. But it's very important to differentiate, differentiate between numbers and believers. And again, the only way you can become a part of Christ's church is through faith in Jesus, embracing the cross for yourself. Embracing the cross for yourself. And as people were putting their faith in Jesus, as they're saying, I believe he's the Messiah, that I have sinned, that he is the the answer to my sin. 
And he, as, they, as they put their lives in his hands, their lives were being changed. Faith was being displayed in, in these changed lives. And Christ brought purity in their lives and power began, began to have a, happen in their lives over sin, over these things that were dominating them before. They were rescued. And they didn't want to have anything to do with darkness anymore. And they embraced the light and they were being trained and grown in the light. In verse 15, as a result, people brought the sick into the streets and laid them on the beds and mats so that at least Peter's shadow might fall on some of them as he passed by. We know it's faith that heals, not shadows. Crowds gathered also from towns around Jerusalem, bringing their sick. And so this wasn't just local. It was happening. It was starting to spread out again, like Jesus' ministry, like he said it would. People from towns around Jerusalem were bringing their sick and those tormented by impure spirits, and all of them were healed. Amazing, in a very religious society, in a very religious society, people were sick and they were demon-possessed. They were sick and they were demon-possessed in a highly religious society. You know, I think the enemy feels quite comfortable around religion. I think he's quite at home around religion. But he is definitely not comfortable around Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit. Big difference. Big difference. The question is, do we have the Son? Do we have the Spirit of God within us? And so, an amazing work of the Holy Spirit. Chapter 5 begins with that one Ananias and Sapphira, they die. But it turns into a blessing. The fear of the Lord is restored. Holiness is happening in the lives of the people. Purity was there. And result, this power is proceeding from the church. People were being saved and healed, and the gospel was going forward. The gospel was going forward. As we look at Acts, this is really important. The message of Jesus Christ, the word of God, the message, the name, all these little phrases that you'll see, all talking about the same thing, all referring to the Messiah, Jesus, who died on the cross to take away the sins of the world. And through faith and believing upon him, a person can be saved from the coming wrath of God and receive eternal life. Our life for his death. That's amazing. So that's the main theme. The gospel is going forward. And as we're going to go through, you're going to see opposition to that calling upon the church. You're going to see opposition upon that calling to the church. The calling of the gospel. The Jesus commanded the disciples. Anybody a disciple here today? You either are or you aren't. He calls them to go forward into all the world, preaching the gospel, make disciples, right? Baptizing in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. We're teaching them to obey all that I've commanded, all that stuff, right? The good stuff, the thing that we're, we're preoccupied with as Christians. That's what we're about. Notice he didn't say quit your jobs and all that stuff. These people were tent makers, fishermen, all these, all these people, just as they're living their lives, you're about the gospel. That's what you're about. But we see that they have, there's a real enemy there's a real enemy. There's man and there's Satan. And boy, they work together, don't they? And there's this opposition that comes to the gospel. As you're going to see through Acts, and all these stories are leading about the, the forwarding of the gospel, the continuation of the ministry. And you're going to see opposition and then God's solution. Opposition, God's solution. Opposition, God's solution. Opposition, God's solution. The whole thrust is about the word of God going forward. Not just knowledge about the Bible, but knowledge of God, of salvation, of Jesus Christ, 
being implemented in people's lives and lived out the light. So we see opposition as crowds are gathering. All these things are happening. We're going to see opposition from the Sadducees. Remember that? From the outside. Anybody experienced opposition from the outside? Well, these Sadducees were going to give them this discouragement. I don't want you to talk in the name of Jesus anymore. We said so. We scare you, we scare you, we scare you, and we let you go. Throw you in jail and let you go. There was this opposition from the outside, this discouragement. But we see also the opposition from inside, from within the church, right? From within the church, where there's this discouragement going on with Ananias and Sapphira, this hypocrisy that, that stopped the gospel from going forward, didn't it? Yes, and God deals with that. And so opposition from within as well, from outside and inside. We're going to see it go back in today because if it can't discourage you, if it can't get you from the inside, then it's going to go to physical. And they're going to start hitting you and beating you and things like that. And that's what we're seeing here. Verse 17 says, Then the high priest and all his associates, who were members of the party of the Sadducees, certain religious sect, were filled with jealousy. And they arrested the apostles and put them in public jail. And so the religious leaders who were Sadducees were filled with jealousy. The word for jealousy in the Greek is zealous, or zealous, which is kind of where we can get the word zealot, right? They were filled with jealousy, so to speak. They also get the word indignant in some of your translations. They were indignant. That's another word. Strongly opposed to something. Strongly opposed to something. Envious, and there's an envious and contentious rivalry. That was what was going on. They were filled with that. That was what was in their heart. And so at the root of the actions of these Pharisees, religious leaders, they were greatly upset that the attention was being drawn away from them and that this new movement was, movement was flourishing. They're getting upset. They're jealous. They're upset because the attention is being drawn away from where it should be drawn to, right? Anyone? This new movement was flourishing. Just a reminder, the high priest and his buddies were members of the Sadducees. What does that mean? The Sadducees didn't believe in the supernatural. It's like, how in the world could you be in a religious office and not believe in the supernatural? Well, they didn't believe in miracles. They didn't believe in angels. They didn't believe in afterlife. They didn't believe in the resurrection. And this is why they were sad, you see. Yes. But all these things that were contrary to what they wanted were happening. Right? The supernatural was happening all around them and it increased their rage. But really, it's important to note what they were filled with. What were they filled with? They were filled with this jealousy. Everybody listen up. These guys were filled with jealousy. And so they arrested the apostles. What they were filled with determined their actions. Does that make sense? What they were filled with was acted out. What were the apostles filled with? So what did they do? They preached the gospel. That's God's love towards man is the gospel. That is God's love towards man is the gospel. For God so loved the world that he gave. What are we filled with? What are you filled with today? What do you do? That's a hard question, isn't it? 
And so they used their authority and they acted upon their jealousy and arrested the apostles and put them in jail. So the furtherance of the gospels in threat again. They're put in jail, verse 19, but during the night, an angel of the Lord opened the doors of the jail and brought them out. Verse 20, go stand in the temple courts, he said, and tell the people all about this new life. And so an angel springs them from jail. And what does he tell them? What does he tell them? Go stand in the temple and tell the people all about this new life. Some of your versions just say, tell them all about the words of this life. But the idea is tell them all about the gospel. Get back out there. Get back out there. Could you be a little bit, you know, scared again if you got thrown in jail for the second time for doing this? I would be. I'd be like, okay, I'm going to find out how I can get out of here as quickly as possible. An angel of the Lord, broke, you know, springs them out. Let's go, guys. We're out of here. And they're out, and they, what do, I want you to go back and do what you were just doing. When we experience opposition from the world, when we share the gospel, the Lord is faithful in a variety of ways, from shaking the prayer room to busting us out of jail to bringing a brother or sister alongside us, to speaking a verse, a song, whatever it might be, to calling, a phone call would be good from someone, (laughs) to remind us to get back out there and stay on point, to get back out there and stay on point. Their mission was to stand in the temple. What was the temple? Was it in a corner? Was it hidden away? It was central to all that these people were. Go stand in the most public place and go teach and preach. Go stand and tell these people all about this new life, all about the gospel. And what did they do, verse 21? At daybreak. Next evening, when did they do it? Five days later? Like Abraham, what did Abraham do when the Lord told him to go sacrifice his son? Early the next morning, at daybreak, they got up, immediate obedience. And they entered the temple courts as they had been told and began to teach the people. They obeyed with boldness. Let me ask you something. Is the Lord calling you to go back into a difficult circumstance and stand and proclaim him? Is God calling you to go back into a difficult circumstance and stand and proclaim him? If we're living for a life of comfort, we're not going to be willing. I won't. If we're living for this world, we will not be willing. If we are living to please men, we will not do it. But if we're living to please the one who gave up his deity, who gave up his position, and who denied himself and came down, humiliated himself, humbled himself, gave up all, died on the cross, what would happen? What should we do? What should be our response? If that's our our heart, is to live like Jesus and to please Jesus, reflect him, we go, yes, Lord, we're going back out at whatever expense. Because you showed us how that would be. You showed us the way. 
And when the high priest and the associates arrived, uh, arrived, they called together the Sanhedrin, the full assembly of the elders of Israel. This is all the leaders, not just one group, not just the Sadducees. We had the Sadducees, the Pharisees, and the Essenes, and they all got together. And they sent to the jail for the apostles. But on arriving at the jail, the officers did not find them there, and so they went back and reported, verse 23, Hey, we found the jail securely locked with the guards standing at the doors, but when we opened them, we found no one inside. No one was there. And on hearing this report, the captain of the temple guard and the chief priests were at a loss, wondering what this might lead to. They were just beside themselves. Oh my gosh, what happened here? And then someone came and said, Hey, verse 25, Look, the men you put in jail are standing in the temple courts teaching the people. And at that, the captain went with his officers and brought the apostles. They did not use force. Why? Because they feared that the people would stone them. They feared that the people would stone them. This is of important note. Make a note of that. They feared the people. The heart of these leaders is exposed again. Their heart is exposed again. At the core of who they were, their desire was to receive the praise of men. Their desire was to receive the praise of men. Their desire was to please every single person around them. And anything that would be contrary to that was considered a a threat. Anything that would take away from receiving that praise of people looking at them as the chief end of all things. Anybody would turn them away from receiving that praise was a threat. Anybody that would uh, cause a problem, turn things, it would all be a threat because the, the chief end of the heart was to receive the praise of people. Who did they fear? They feared the people. That's who they worshipped. That's who they worshipped. They feared, the fear of man motivated these leaders, not the fear of God, nor his love. Does that happen in your life ever? Do you ever, are you motivated by pleasing someone so that you get some emotional need out of your life when you know God is calling you to do something different? I think we all struggle with that on some level. Because the desire to belong and all these types of things. Unwillingness to point out evil. Unwillingness to say the hard things because it might offend. Who are you afraid of? Who are you fearing? And we can take that and we can turn around and go, well, it's loving not to offend people. Really. I just want, we'll talk about that a little bit more in a bit, but it's interesting. The fear of man, it's so subtle. And these guys were led by that. It motivated them. Verse 27 says, The apostles were brought in and made to appear before the Sanhedrin to be questioned by the high priest. Verse 28, We gave you strict orders not to teach in this name. And he said, uh, he said that, Yet you have filled Jerusalem with your teaching and determined to make us guilty of this man's blood. You've done the exact opposite of what we told you. We told you not to teach in his name. The problem is this place is saturated with the name of Jesus and his teaching, and you're making us look bad, like we killed him or something. I 
And Peter and the other apostles replied, we must obey God rather than human beings. You know, again, the opposition to the gospel, we gave you strict orders not to teach in his name. We gave you strict orders not to teach in his name. You know, it's graduation time. Just um, a month ago, there was a guy down in California, in Brawley, Brawley, California, Brooks Hamby. I don't know if you read about it. High school school salatorian. And he submitted three speeches uh, to to give on that, uh, his graduation night. And each time it came back with anything and everything about Jesus or God or prayer redacted. He said, you can't do that. You cannot do that. You cannot do that. You cannot do that. I mean, it's, it's amazing. So he did it anyways. And the school lawyers are having a fit. Like the Sadducees in the story. Told you not to say anything in his name. You can't, you know, what's this idea that you can be a, you know, you, you can't be a president or you can't be a person in office and yet the whole reason by what you, how you see life or how you move or how you judge things you can't even talk about. Unless it's Allah or someone, you know. What is that spirit? Who do you think that's from? Don't you dare mention Jesus at work. Don't you dare talk about the gospel. Don't you dare try to proselytize. Don't you try to pray for people. You just stay in your little ineffectual box. See, Peter responded, what did he do? Sorry, we don't operate the way you operate. We don't fear man. We don't fear the ramifications of little political parties or our base or whatever it is. Our base is him. He is our foundation. We respond to the Holy Spirit. And if the Holy Spirit says speak, then we speak. So whatever memos and whatever laws and all that stuff that are contrary to the gospel overruled by the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. You're free to speak. You're free to preach as the Spirit leads. As the Spirit leads. The apostles have been thrown in jail twice now and are commanded by these leaders not to preach in his name, the name of Jesus, the only name that really matters on this earth. At the end of your life when you die, the only person that will ever make a difference in your life truly is Jesus Christ. Do you know him or do you not? Have you accepted him or have you not? Have you applied his blood or, ha- or you haven't? That is how God knows you. In 10 million years from now, it will not matter what car you drove, what, you, what clothes you wear, what music you listened to, what house you had. It will only matter what you did with, your, with the Son of God. Do you know him or do you not? They knew what they were called to. They knew the heart of God. They knew they had eternity in their hearts. They knew the value of the moment. And Peter didn't learn this easily. Peter feared men. Remember Peter? He denied him how many times? Something Jesus had to teach him. Something we're being taught. Need to be filled more with the Lord and less with my ideology or my strength or I can go do it. Lord, I can't. Fill me so that I might. 
These guys have been thrown in jail. And the high priest says there in verse 28, hey, we give you strict orders not to teach in his name, yet you have filled this whole place with his teaching and you're determined to make us guilty of this man's blood. What a compliment, this complaint. You filled this place with his name. I wish that that would be our char- the charge against us by our enemies. That church, they keep on talking about Jesus to everybody. They're this and they're that and they just name call us and we're just loving them with the gospel. The second thing the high priest said that they're trying to determine us guilty of this man's blood, he obviously has a short memory. In Matthew 27, Jesus brought before Pilate and Pilate told the people, I'm innocent, uh, uh, Pilate told the people, I am innocent of this man's blood. It's your responsibility and the people, they answered in verse 25, his blood be upon us and our children. High priest present. Also Caiaphas, who's the high priest of Jesus' death, said in John 11, uh, you know nothing at all. You do not realize that it is better for you that one man die for the people than for the whole nation to perish. He didn't say this on his own, John says, but as high priest that year prophesied that Jesus would die for the Jewish nation, and not only for that nation, but also for the scattered children of God to bring them together and to make them one. So from that day on, they plotted to take his life. The high priest was part of killing Jesus, that whole group there, with the exception of a few. And because this was part of their message, the message of the gospel, hey, you, you're part of this. You killed him. We all killed him. We crucified him. We denied him as a nation. They were exposed and they got upset. And Peter and the apostles, they replied, hey, we must obey God rather than human beings. And, and church, this is so important. If you walk away with anything, walk away with this. We must obey God rather than human beings. The Spirit is comparing and contrasting the hearts of religious leaders, church-going people who are not, uh, who are just going for church sake to check it off, right? Just like the religious leaders, they were doing all the outward actions, but inside they did not have the relationship with the Lord, right? And I can't, I don't know what's going on in your hearts. You know. You know. Unless you're deceived, which sin does, we don't know. We judge by fruit. But he's comparing, contrasting these, the, the apostles with these guys. And listen, the religious leaders desired the praise of men. The apostles desired the praise of God. The religious, religious leaders were filled with jealousy in their actions uh, to direct the people back to themselves as a result. The apostles were filled with the Spirit in their actions to preach the gospel to direct people back to themselves, back to God. The fear of man quenches the gospel. Don't preach in his name. The fear of God promotes the gospel. We must obey God rather than human beings. This comparing and contrasting of hearts. We're in one camp or the other, the camp of the Lord or the camp of man. Matthew 10, Matthew 10 28, says, Jesus said, Don't be afraid of those who kill the body, but cannot kill the soul. It's talking about true authority. Don't be afraid of those who can kill your body, but be afraid of those who can, uh, uh, but can't kill the soul. Sorry. Rather, be afraid of the one who can destroy both the soul and body in hell. You know, it's convenient to be silent concerning Jesus' commission upon our lives and spreading the gospel if we're living for the approval of man. It's convenient to be silent. I was thinking about this. It's, it's really convenient to be silent concerning God's call on us and the mission of the gospel 
when I'm living to please men, it'll just be easy not to say anything. I will come up with a hundred excuses and even spiritualize it. But as we're filled with the Spirit and full of His Word, focused on pleasing the Father, if that's our goal, if he's, or His pleasure is our goal, the gospel is going to go forward because it's not about me. It's not about you. It's about His love to you. Even in the face of rejection and disapproval. So Peter says, hey, we're obeying the Lord rather than you guys. And he proceeded to preach the gospel to them. I love that. They tell him not to preach the gospel, and then he turns around and goes, hey, we're obeying God, and by the way, we're going to preach it to you. Now, why did he preach it to them? To rub it in their face, or was there another motive? I think they desired that they would be saved, that they would receive forgiveness. And so it says in verse 30, the God of our ancestors raised Jesus up from the dead, whom you killed by hanging on the cross. That's a great opening line. Hey, you people who told me not to preach the gospel, you killed Jesus. God raised him from the dead. Verse 31, God exalted him to his own right hand as prince and savior, that he might bring Israel to repentance and the forgiveness of their sins. We are witnesses of these things, and so is the Holy Spirit, whom God has given to those who obey him. And so in all that, he's saying, you're disobedient, you're murderers. But he's also saying, Forgiveness is yours. And I have to believe the apostles, their heart was to save this bunch of religious guys who put Jesus to death. You know, we can often look at people's actions and say they're so messed up and so hostile, they would never receive the gospel. Have any of you done that? Just looked at someone and the way they work, the way they, they're so, their attitude is just so messed up. They're so, gosh, I would have to get involved with that. Can't we just have a more cleaned up person, Lord? How many of you were just outer space cadets when the Lord came and saved you? Steve and Lori and I. That's cool. Gabe, all right. Larry, Christine. The rest of you were those clean type Christians, right? I praise God that people were like, you know what? I'm just going to deny myself and go over to this guy. I remember being totally lost in the world, just absolutely gone. I don't want to get into the details. Walking out of like a Walmart parking lot in San Diego and some guy walks up to me and hands me a track and starts sharing the Lord with me. I'd known the Lord. I was far, far away from him. But I mean, he just decided to go up to this young, angry-looking kid and hand him a track. And, you know, I, I dis- disregard it, but I'm remembering it now. Why am I remembering it? That was part of the Lord trying to reach me when I was far away. And how many of those I, I don't even re- remember because someone just said, I'm going to die and I'm going to go love. I love them more than I love my own life. I'm just going to do it. That's the heart of the Lord. We can often look at people's actions and what they look like and make these judgments and just walk away from them. That's not what we're called to. We're called to go give them the the truth and love. And is it offensive? Yes. Hey, you crucified the Lord. You've sinned. What are you saying? You disagree with my lifestyle or what I've done and all these choices? 
God does. And by the way, he disagreed big time with mine. That's why he came and rescued me. He saved me, he saved you. But isn't that offensive? You, what do you mean I need to be saved? You're saying everything about me. That's the pride of man saying, you're so, and they put up walls and call names and all these types of things. To, they got to wrestle with the Lord. We just be faithful to preach the gospel, share the gospel, give the gospel, act out the gospel, and let God deal with hearts. Let God, we don't need to manipulate people's hearts. We give them the truth. It's up to them what happens, and we'll see what happens to some of these priests later on. But just preach the gospel. Don't miss out on those opportunities. Don't be afraid of rejection. Jesus was rejected. And by the way, he's with you. He's with you. His spirit's in you. So when you experience that rejection, Jesus is right there with you, and you get to rejoice in him as the disciples will in just a minute. But don't assume that they will never listen. Just be faithful to the message. That's our part, to spread the seed. And it's God who causes the increase. It's God who causes people's hearts to change and grow. Verse 33, when they heard this, they responded well to the gospel. They were furious and wanted to put them to death. You're going to get that reaction sometimes. I hate everything you stand for because what you stand for is everything against how I live and what I want to do. That's okay. Still love you. Still going to share. They were furious and wanted to put them to death, but a Pharisee named Gamaliel, a teacher of the law who was honored by all the people, stood up the Sanhedrin and ordered all the men to be put outside for a little while. Ordered that the men, sorry, the apostles, be put outside for a little while. Gamaliel was a very respected rabbi. In Acts 22.3, we read that Paul was taught by him. And it was said somewhere that he was that Paul was the best of the best students, and Gamaliel had one complaint of Paul that he couldn't give him enough books to read, and so that's pretty pretty funny. There it says something about Paul, but verse thirty five says then this Gamaliel, this respected teacher, he addressed the Sanhedrin, men of Israel, consider carefully what you intend to do to these men. Now that this guy's a Pharisee, he's not a Sadducee. Okay, so there's a little politics going on here. Some time ago, Theudas appeared claiming to be somebody and about 400 men rallied to him and he was killed and his followers were dispersed and it all came to nothing. And after him, Judas, the Galilean, this is not Judas Iscariot, appeared in the days of the census and led a band of people in revolt and he too was killed and all his followers were scattered, verse 38. Therefore, in this present case, I advise you, Leave these men alone, let them go, for if their purpose or activity is of human origin, it will fail. But if it is from God, you will not be able to stop these men. You will not only find yourself fighting against God. Seems like wise advice, although sometimes things that are not of God continue on and on and on and on. Islam is the growing, the most growing faith uh, on the face of the earth. But he's saying, this is his advice to them. Just let it go. If it's, God, if it's of God, it'll go. You can't do anything against it. But if it isn't, you'll fail. And his speech persuaded them. They called the apostles in and had them flogged. You know, I guess that persuaded them to flog them. And then they ordered them not to speak in the name of Jesus and let them go. And so Gamaliel, he convinces them to play it cautiously. They agree not to kill them and they flog them. They whip them. And again, they're ordered not to speak in the name of Jesus and they were let go. And so the persecution went from just being thrown in jail and told not to do it from the outside. Now 
it's a step further where they're going to experience physical persecution. They're starting to feel it on their bodies. And the enemy will, will progressively, if he can't get you morally, if he can't get you in, in, the, in your heart, if he can't get you depressed, if he can't get you all these types of things, then it's going to escalate to the point where he's going to start to mess with your being. And they were beaten. So what did the apostles do? Verse 41, the apostles left the Sanhedrin rejoicing because they had been counted worthy of suffering disgrace for the name. That might sound like insanity, but if their whole life up is in walking like Jesus, then experiencing the things Jesus experienced brought joy to their heart. They knew they were on the right path. This is why in the Beatitudes it says, blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, right? It means rejoice, be over, overjoyed. Because they've been counted worthy of suffering disgrace for the name. The name. Whose name? Christ Community Fellowship, Matt Dotson, heck no. The name, the name of Jesus Christ. That is who you're about. That is who we're about. And in closing, day after day, in the temple courts and from house to house, they never stopped teaching and proclaiming the good news of Jesus, the Messiah. Don't do it. They beat them. Stop speaking in the name of Jesus. They beat them. They let them go. And day after day in the temple, what did they do? In the most public place, in houses, they did not stop. They never stopped teaching and proclaiming the good news that Jesus is the Messiah. They rejoiced in the suffering, for suffering the gospel. They continued in the gospel day after day, the most public places and private places, wherever they could go, wherever they were. They never stopped teaching and proclaiming the good news. They never stopped. They were unstoppable. Unstoppable. And I would ask you this morning, what's stopping you? What's stopping me? As the enemy found that Achilles heel? Has he found that secret sin? Has he found that discouragement? Has he found that oppression that would cease you to speak in the name of Jesus? Fear of men. Fear of pain. We all have it. It's all common to all of us. We're human beings. But we're not called to walk by feelings. We're called to walk by faith to trust him. Take that fear to the Lord. Take that fear to the Lord. Fear from within, fear from without, fear of inadequacy, fear of rejection. Take it before the Lord and his word to you right here in Acts. Because there's a world around you that needs hope and that hope is within you. You are the salt of the earth. You are the light of the world. That is who you are. Christ in you, the hope of glory. And at the same time, that world that needs it wants to reject it. This world is ruled by Satan. It's his present ruler. And he will use everything to keep you from being that light in a dark place, from being that salt, from being that representative of Jesus day to day. This week, in your family, at your job, on the road, at Walmart, to your employer, to your employees, 
Jesus left all and died for you. Jesus said, so the Father sent me, so I send you. So the Father sent me, so I send you. The same thing that happened to me, let it happen in you. And so the world is your mission field. Your family is your mission field this week. How can Jesus, how did he walk? How did he live? What did he say? What did he do? How did he interact with people? And say, Lord, make it happen to me. And he's going to give you the opportunity. And you step out. And someone might go, I want to kill you. You're on the right path. (laughs) You're on the right path. Amen? Lord God, thank you for this church, this gathering of believers. And we lift up our hearts before you, and these things happen. Sometimes you're calling us into difficult circumstances that we feel fearful in. Would you fill us with your spirit and give us boldness and shake our prayer rooms, Lord? Would you fill us with the heart and the mind of the Father as he looks out upon this world in love and the solution is his son who he gave. And now he has more sons and daughters that he desires to give that are filled with the spirit of his son. So send forth your church, these people in this room, into the fields that are white with harvest. They're ready. People are ready. And wherever they might have resistance, let them not to get discouraged. Wherever they might feel inadequate, let your power be their adequacy. Where people say things about them, let them embrace the cross and find themselves to be in deep fellowship with your son who had all this happen to him. We ask that you would save the lost through us. In the name of Jesus, amen.